along in your Bibles. The scriptures will also be on the projector screen right behind me as well. So uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. And you can go ahead and uh, whether you're here in person or online, follow along in your heart language, if that's Spanish or English. I'll be reading for us in English here today. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. Let's go ahead and open up our scriptures and prepare ourselves to hear the word of God. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. Let's hear with open ears and open hearts. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink, or with regard to religious festivals or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Verse 19, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it. To grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, uh, to this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Verse 21, the rules that say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your precious word that has the power to, to convict, to bring new ideas, to open up our consciences, Lord, to um, help us think outside of the box. And sometimes, Lord, when we read passages like this, uh, maybe we've heard of before, but we've never really landed on and we've never really talked about or prayed about, Lord. We don't know exactly what to do or what to say about them. But Holy Spirit, we're calling on you to be our teacher. We're calling on you to give us wisdom, to give us peace, Lord. Meet us in our questions. And may we know whether we're younger, whether we're older, whether we're, we're taking our first steps in faith or our next steps in faith, Lord, may we know that you always meet us where we're at. And you never run away. You always run toward us, God. Lord, I pray for those that are experiencing seasons of challenge, of sickness. We lift them all up to you, God. We think of the Madrids. We continue to pray for them, Lord, as we gather in their home for worship this coming uh, Wednesday, Lord. 
May we fill that house with praise. And Lord, we also pray for others, God, who are in other unique seasons, seasons of grieving, seasons of challenge, seasons of loneliness and uh, of, of frustration. And God, would you be our true comfort? Help us, Lord, to believe even in moments where we struggle with unbelief and help us to trust that you have a plan and we have a future, God, because you're the one in control. You're the one moving us somewhere, Lord. You're the one leading us. Lord, as, as I've taken time to pray over the, the week, sometimes I realize that when there are seasons when it feels like you're far, it's not that you're far, Lord, not all the time that you're far, but sometimes it's that we're not faithfully following you, God. Help us to follow you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Speak to us here today, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' faithful name, amen. 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 So during this month of May, we've really been talking about what it means to live our lives as a gospel-centered community, uh, to be a community that lives by the gospel, the good news of God, where God has done something that has changed everything. And um, what we've talked about um, over the past few weeks is that we're a community that doesn't function by just law or rule keeping or rule breaking or religiosity. We don't just function by tradition. We don't do the same things over and over again just because that's what we've always done. We're always open to the leading of the Spirit in our lives and in our life together as a community. The Holy Spirit is the one who connects us to God and to each other. We're a community that chooses to function through grace and truth. We choose to give each other grace and truth. And we don't just function by law or tradition or human standards as that passage that we're reading about tells, talks about. We don't just function by self-righteousness or judgment of ourselves or judgment of each other. We choose to give each other grace, mercy, and truth. Part of choosing to give each other grace, mercy, and truth is choosing to live lives by the Spirit, not just by law or tradition or religiosity, but life in the Spirit. Here at Imago Church, we don't gain authority or, or even um, honor or respect from others by mere titles. Anyone can have a title. But here we really gain that sense of mutual respect, love, authority, yielding to one another, not by titles, but by our testimony and by our Christ-like character. And part of what we're working toward, especially in this new move to the, uh, to the new location in a couple of weeks and throughout the summer and into the fall as well, we're going to be rebuilding towards spiritual maturity and church health as the body of Christ. And so we've been in this series on the book of Colossians since Easter um, through the month of May, this series that we've called uh, Visible and Invisible, where we're inviting Jesus to be the Lord of all, the Lord of every area of our lives, that which is seen and that which is unseen. We're learning to be a people that stand in the gap between everyday human reality and God's eternal truths. 
That's what we've been uh, learning about over these past few weeks. Last week, we began this conversation on what it means to live a surrendered life, a life that leads to true freedom. That's the only way we get to true freedom. Not through false freedom will be just rule keeping or rule breaking, but true freedom begins with surrender, with surrendering our lives, our words, our actions, our hearts, our minds over to the Lord to align our will with God's will. There's this old writer by the name of Thomas Watson who put it really well. He talked about how we can actually get to that point of true freedom only through surrender. And this is something Thomas Watson said. I think we have a slide for it. And you can even remember this and write this down. Thomas Watson says, unless we deny our own will, we will never do God's will. Unless we deny our own will, we will never do God's will. True freedom begins with surrender, with yielding, with saying, all right, God, not my will, but your will be done. And in this life, that's going to be a process. That's going to be a posture. We're never just going to land there fully, but in Christ, we can live that surrendered life. So unless we deny and stop trusting in our own temporary hopes, our own tempor- unless we stop trusting in our own temporary solutions, we will never experience the true life and freedom that God created us for. God created you for that reason. He created us for that reason, to experience true freedom. Not just temporary hope, not just bandage type of solutions but new life, transformation, and true freedom. Because true freedom is not just freedom from, but true freedom is freedom for. Freedom for you to be who you were created to be. And remember this, friends, brothers, sisters, younger, older, whatever season in life you're in, remember that the key word in the gospel is not the word no. In in rebelliousness or in uh, religiosity, the key word will be no. No, don't do that. Or no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do whatever I want. But the freedom of the gospel, the key word is not no. The key word is go. Go and be who you were created to be. Live a life of flourishing, of thriving. Be that precious woman of God. Be that man of valor that God created you to be. And live in alignment with that. And that's really the difference between any false religious freedom or even rebellious freedom. Like we talked about last week, they're really two sides of the exact same coin. But what the word of God, the true gospel offers is real freedom. A relationship. And and the way that I can think about this is really just giving the example of what? real freedom is versus a false sense of freedom and what uh, a healthy kind of view of the gospel and our relationship with God versus an unhealthy view of the gospel and our relationship with God. And it's okay if we've been there before, but God is making a way for us back to him to experience that true freedom. So the best example that I can think of in, in understanding what a healthy relationship with, uh, with, uh, w- with the gospel is and an unhealthy one is, is when I think about the relationship between a child and a parent. 
figure. You can say mother or father, but I'll use the word, the, the, the name father, since father is one of the names of God, right? But a false gospel or a false hope actually says this, when we mess up, not if we mess up, but when we mess up, because we all have times in this life when we mess up. A false gospel says, I messed up. My father's going to hate me. Let me get right with God through my own rule keeping so that my father likes me again. So I'm accepted once again. Or I messed up. My father is going to be mad at me or hate me. So let me forget about all of that. Let me forget about God with my own rule breaking. Those are all both two versions of a false gospel. But the true gospel, the good news of God, the good news that Jesus had to come, die, and rise again for is news that says this. When we mess up, not if, but when we mess up, it says, I messed up. I need to call on my Father God. I can't do it alone. So he must make a way. The true gospel reminds us that we can't do it alone. So he must make a way. Temporary freedom through rule keeping says, um, I, can, I got this. I can do this through my rule keeping or through my rule breaking. The true gospel says, I can't. God must. He must make a way. Dios debe que hacer un camino para mí. As it says here, the difference between the two, right? And if we can put the passage there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink or with regard to a religious festival, more rule keeping or a new celebration or a new Sabbath. These are just a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All of those things that could seem like good ideas until they're not, right? The rule keeping, the rule breaking, all that stuff is just going to be a taste. It's just going to be a shadow. But the reality is found in Christ. And we have access to that good news, to that eternal truth. Again, a false gospel, like just the rule breaking, let me do what I want, when I want, all of that stuff boils down to the following statement. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and let the chips fall wherever they may. Sure, that'll feel good until it doesn't. That'll work until it doesn't. And men, we can go around here. We've heard, we have testimonies. We have stories here where we have tried that Neither leads to true freedom. The rule keeping, the rule breaking, both just give a temporary hope and a false sense of freedom. But true freedom in the gospel comes down to saying, as we mentioned earlier, God, I messed up. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. So if you're in that place of need, now it's time to see God's power at work in your life. 
When you're at the end of yourself, as it says in the, and in, in, as the Lord tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those that say, I can't do this myself. I need you, God, to do it for me. I need you to do something for me that I can't do for myself. I need to be restored. I need to be renewed. I need to be forgiven. I need to be made new. I cannot, so God, you must. There's the, uh, some of you know that during the month of April, Charlotte and I were invited to go out to El Salvador, actually. Actually, a couple of our congregants were, were one of our former congregants got married out there and uh, asked me to officiate the wedding. But um, as we were out there, the, the, the airport, the international airport that you land in in El Salvador is actually called Oscar Romero International Airport. And some of you know who Oscar Romero is, others perhaps not. But Oscar Romero was actually a Salvadoran priest who during those years of civil war that were happening in El Salvador, um, particularly some challenges and violence that the government had toward the most vulnerable people, indigenous people within the, the country. Um, uh, they, uh, the, the, during that time, no one would stand up for them except this priest named Oscar Romero. And he knew that all the odds were stacked up against him. But what he chose to do, again, out of that faithfulness to God, out of that love for God's people, is to stand up for those that no one would stand up for. And one of Oscar Romero's prayers during that time, he was just one priest. There was a whole, whole situation, a whole army against him, but his prayer every single day was this prayer that you can make your, your own. And I think we have it up there. It says, God, I cannot, so God, you must. I cannot, so God, you must. Let that be your prayer with that overwhelming situation that you're going through, with that unbearable weight on your shoulders. I cannot, so God, you must. Dios, no puedo, así que Dios, tú sí lo puedes. That can be your prayer. In this season, in this time, I cannot, so God, you must. We're a people that are fully dependent on the Spirit of God. Not on our own strength. Not on our own abilities not on our own resources. And I pray that that would be even our prayer as a community in this season. God's taking us somewhere new, new chapter, new beginning, whole new season. We cannot. So God, you must. That's what we're called to be. A people made alive by being fully dependent on the Spirit of God. Not in ourselves, because there's nothing new about that, right? That's really what 
what, what our original way, our old way of thinking is. We got this. We can do it, again, through our rule breaking or our rule keeping. But the Holy Spirit is the source of all life. He's the one that we fully depend on. He's the giver of all spiritual gifts as well as the author of the scriptures. And, 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 and it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed, meaning the Holy Spirit is the author of the word of God. God's spirit is also, um, is in, in the original uh, biblical language, the spirit of God is called the pneuma of God. And in order to understand the role and the person of the Holy Spirit, we actually need to begin with even the very first page of the Bible. It already talks about the, 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 the movement of the Holy Spirit. Some of you remember in Genesis chapter 1, there was an uncreated world, and it's actually dark and isolated. It has no form. It's purely chaotic. But then what happens? Above the clouds is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who brings life, who brings order, who brings beauty into creation, into chaos. The Holy Spirit still does the exact same thing. The Holy Spirit sees our disorder, our chaos, our emptiness, and the Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings order. The Spirit brings newness into those spaces. So who is the Holy Spirit exactly? And I'm not sure we have a slide for this one, but you can write it down. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. And in fact, the, in the, the, the original word for spirit, for the, the Holy Spirit, in the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written on, written in, is the word ruach. And ruach can refer to a number of different things. But ruach is also energy, presence, and the reality of God. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the energy, presence, and the reality of God. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is uh, spirit is actually the same word as breath. Also, ruah is the same word as breath, as spirit, as reality, all those things. It's the same word. It describes God's personal presence. So just like wind and breath is invisible, God's spirit is invisible. But just like we are dependent on breath to live, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to be able to live and to function. Even though breath and wind, all that stuff is invisible, we can't see it, but we can't deny its reality. We depend on breath. We depend on wind in order to live. Wind is so powerful and so is God's Holy Spirit. Breathing is what keeps us alive, and it is the Spirit of God that is the giver of life. And it is the Spirit of God that is the sustainer of life. So throughout the story of the Bible, we read about how God's Spirit is at work in and through people in the Scriptures. One of the first people that the Holy Spirit is ever at work in is actually this, this young man in the book of Genesis by the name of Joseph. 
Joseph in the book of Genesis was filled with the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit actually gives Joseph this, this gift. He empowers Joseph with the spiritual gift. All of us have spiritual gifts. God is that generous that he's given us all gifts to be able to bless, edify, and build up one another and to glorify God. But the spiritual gift that God had given Joseph was the ability to understand and to interpret dreams. This happens with a few others, but especially we see the Holy Spirit at work with this very special group of people that are extremely important in the scriptures. And specifically in the Old Testament, it's through servants of God called prophets. Some of you have heard of them before. They're in, in, in the scriptures. Some of the big, biggest uh, books in the Bible are actually written by some of the major prophets. So um, just a quick Bible quiz. Who remembers some of the, the prophets in the Bible? Who, who are some of the prophets in the Bible? If you can name some, shout some out. What's that? Isaiah, yes. <laughs> yeah, Jeremiah, uh, yeah, Elisha, any other prophets in the Bible that we can think of? No? <laughs> and and another, uh, another major prophet is also the prophet Ezekiel. Then there are 12 minor prophets after that as well. But the prophets are, are people that are filled with the Spirit of God. And what do they do? A prophet is able to see what is happening in history or in the present from God's point of view. A prophet of God is able to connect dots by surrendering and aligning with the heart and the mind of God and proclaim God's eternal truth here and now. A prophet is again that called to proclaim God's eternal truth here and now. Now, just to be clear, to know what something is, we have to know what something isn't also, right? So what a prophet of God is not. What is a prophet of God not? And I want to be very clear with you on this. A prophet of God is not a fortune teller. A prophet of God is not someone just with a crystal ball or someone who goes around telling um, people's futures with tarot cards or anything like that. No, in, in fact, the word of God forbids those things and asks us to be wise and to set a boundary with all that messiness, with all that stuff. Don't play with that as your pastor, as your friend, as your spiritual leader. Don't play with those things. Don't play with fortune telling. Don't mess with that. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come and in the Q&A in August, we can go deeper in all of that. But those things are actually called principalities. Don't mess around with principalities. Do not let the enemy, Satan, the devil, in the vehicle with you. Do not let them in the vehicle because the enemy won't be satisfied with being a passenger in the vehicle. The enemy will want to take the wheel and drive. So just as an encouragement to you in that. If you let the enemy in your vehicle, the enemy will want to drive the vehicle and control the vehicle. So again, a prophet of God isn't just a fortune teller. A prophet of God tells the truth. Wow, 
Wouldn't that be just a, an amazing way to make that distinction? A prophet of God tells the truth. A false prophet tells lies. A prophet of God tells the truth about God and points to God's reality here and now. And a prophet of God also glorifies God, not themselves. That's the difference, right? A false prophet will point to himself or point to herself and say, look at me. Look at all the great things that I've done. Look at all the people I've gathered and all the amazing gifts that I have. No. The Apostle Paul actually gives a warning about that here in the book of Colossians. A real warning and an encouragement. He's saying, don't trust in those empty promises. I know they may feel good. I know they may be exciting. But don't trust in a false prophet. Because those words will work until they don't. It worked until it didn't. That's been our testimony for many of us. When we've tried other things besides God's truth. Besides God's way. Besides God's reality. So the best way that I put it before. And maybe I've shared this with you all before. But. A false prophet or um, uh, uh, a lie, right, is a lot like cotton candy. Who likes cotton candy here, right? I do. Confession time. Cotton candy is so sweet, but it's completely empty. It'll taste good immediately, but it'll do nothing for you. It'll actually work against you. And if you're only eating cotton candy, eventually you're going to starve and it's going to destroy you. It's not going to nourish you. You know, it's, it's, it's something that um, can seem so good at first, but will just end up completely unhealthy and empty. But the prophet of God provides spiritually healthy food. Spiritually healthy nourishment. Words of God, bread of life that will actually sustain you. The prophet of God points to the Holy Spirit, the giver of the gifts and the source of all knowledge and the source of all goodness. That's part of the role of the man or woman of God who speaks God's truth. And as as God's people, that's the encouragement here. That's part of the the warning and the encouragement that you're called to have that ear to listen and expect to hear God's truth. Don't just settle for cotton candy. Don't just settle for something that's sweet but really empty. You know, as we think about people of God that God has used over the, the generations... Um, one person that I'm thinking of a lot this weekend is uh, actually a pastor and preacher that I have appreciated for many, many years who I just learned passed away on Friday evening. And, uh, you know, I w- we were just getting ready for the bedtime routine. And then uh, Charlotte just told me that uh, Pastor Tim Keller had died that day. And um, some of you know who he is. Some of you probably don't. But I saw that, and I'll be honest with you, I, it really gave me pause in the moment. I really had to sit down and process and, and pray in that one. Because he, for the past generations, more than 40 years, has been that. 
speaking God's truth, preaching the word, especially in very, very difficult places. After Charlotte mentioned that to me, I thanked God for him, and we took time to just pause and pray, pray for him, for his family, for his ministry. You know, he, he led a church and started a church in New York City, which is not an easy thing to do. And he blessed and empowered so many. I mean, even I, as a preacher, every single week, he's one of the people that definitely spoke into my life in incredible ways through his ministry of preaching, of speaking God's truth. I'm never going to forget when I was a college student and <clears throat> in my early 20s, and he actually came to my college campus, Pastor Tim Keller, and he met with, with a bunch of students, and he just took any question that we wanted to talk about, about life, Bible, um, faith, any of that. And then years later, I actually had the opportunity to go to his office there in New York City and get to meet some of the pastors that worked with him. And it was deeply impacting for me, even in, in becoming a pastor and becoming a preacher. And I'm so grateful for the eternal fruit that men of God, women of God have when they just proclaim God's truth. Again, a false prophet will give us something sweet but empty. A man of God, a woman of God, such as Pastor Tim Keller, doesn't just look for quick results, but really seeks to give eternal fruit and to point to eternal fruit. Again, in some ways, I never really had a friendship with him or anything like that. But that was even what, part, what encouraged me in, in having the courage to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to, to do all of that. So even his fruit continues to grow. God, it's all God's eternal fruit. And of course, no, no pastor, no preacher, even me, even Pastor Tim Keller, none of, them are per, none of us are perfect people. No one is. Yet by God's grace we can speak to and point to God's truth. And we can see eternal fruit grow in and through us. I'm so grateful that in the life of this pastor that I'm talking about, Pastor Tim Keller, there was never any, um, you know, any public scandals or any of that mess, which is just all over the place, right? Because the struggle, the battle is real. And I'm just so grateful for the impact and influence that he had on so many including me. And so it's rare for me to just pause and pray and be impacted when, when someone that I don't know directly passes away, but I definitely was over this week. And so I'll ask you to pray for me and also to continue to lift that up. But again, one thing that was so impacting about Pastor Tim Keller is that he never pointed to himself, but he always pointed to the glory of God. But the false prophet points to themselves and uses God and all spiritual gifts for his or her own purposes. So as it says here in Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, if we can uh, put it up there, it says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom, from the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, 
uh, grows as God causes it to grow. So again, it's just going to be uh, someone who's not telling the truth about God. It, it may be sweet at first, but it'll eventually just turn into nothing. So how does someone taste like the Spirit? That's what we've been talking about these past couple of weeks together, right? Someone tastes like the Holy Spirit when they point and glorify the Spirit, not themselves. Because it's always going to be the temptation, right? Let me point to myself and puff up my, uh, myself. That's the exact language it used here, right? But we taste like the Spirit when we point to the Spirit, not to ourselves. And I know that's hard. That's hard in this day and age, in this uh, um, uh, context that we live in, especially in the context, right, of, of just instant access to anything, to uh, uh, social media, all, all of that, right? I mean, that's one of the big, the, the, the big popular trends, right? These days, social media preachers, everyone has something to say. Everyone's an expert on everything, right? So-called social media preachers, social media prophets, some, and those that glorify, those that point to the glory of God, amen and hallelujah, keep spreading the word in that. But those that just point to themselves for the views, for the likes, for the gram, anything for the gram, right? And you know which ones I'm talking about. The ones that, that have the, you know, the really cool pastors these days, Right? got awesome social media platforms with ripped skinny jeans and the sleeve tattoos. And don't worry, I'm working on it. I'm getting there, okay? We'll get there soon. I'm going to get the cool haircut and the skinny jeans and all that too. But, well, pray against that, okay? <laughs> but as it says in, in the passage, the, the man of God, the woman of God, the prophet of God, doesn't point to themselves, but points to the Spirit of God, to the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we're reflecting on that, I want, and we've been talking about what true freedom is, right? Not just rule keeping, not just rule breaking, but as it says here in the prophet Ezekiel, who the Spirit of God worked in and through him, if we can put this passage up, and you can look it up in your Bibles in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 28. This is the point. Not just information, not just inspiration, but true transformation. Not just rule breaking, not just rule keeping, but a new life. And look what it says here in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 28. It says this, and I want you to insert your name here. Friend, brother, sister, younger, older. This is the work of God in your life. The eternal work of God in your life. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors and you will be my people, and I will be your God. You will be my people, and I will be your God. 
I will give you a new heart. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you. That's the true freedom. That's the true goal. That's the true payoff that God is moving us toward. Let's not settle for less. Let's not settle for just the immediate satisfaction or the cotton candy kind of truth. Let's, let's, get, let, let's, let's actually receive the eternal gift that God has for us. New hearts, new minds, new life. Where we will be his people and he will be our God. It's only when we're aligned with the purposes of God that we can live out that, way, that Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of all that is visible and invisible. Lord over everything that is seen as well as everything that is unseen. Lord over what we project on the outside, but also the Lord over what we feel on the inside. Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord over all that is clear, Lord over all that is mysterious. Jesus is Lord over all of physical reality and all of spiritual reality. The Holy Spirit empowers prophets, men and women of God to reveal the glory of God in everything. And that same Holy Spirit empowers the people of God, you and me. The Holy Spirit empowers us to see God in everything and to know that God is at work in using all things, all things visible and all things invisible for our good and for God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we give you praise, Lord. Because you are good, you are mighty, you are wonderful. And Lord, we just pray that you, God, would take your rightful place, Lord, as Lord of all. Lord of all that is visible, Lord of all that is invisible, Lord of all that is seen and unseen. We trust you, God to continue to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And God, would you do as this word says, would you give us new hearts and new minds, Lord, that we would be transformed, that we would find our identity, not in just what we do or in who we know, but our identity would be in being your people and you being our God. We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise because you alone are worthy. Continue to speak to us, Lord, as we close out with this, these, these prayers, these songs of worship. Lord God, would you just um, hear us, Lord. Hear our prayers. Hear our cries. Help us, Lord, to live by the Spirit and to taste like the fruit of the Spirit. May we not point to ourselves, but may we be a community and a people that points to you and sees you, Lord, at work in all things, seen and unseen, visible and invisible. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.